Section 7 of The Door of the Unreal by Gerald Biss. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Brighton Road, Part 7. We found that Verjoyce and Wellingham had just arrived, and after lunch, when Anne left us, Burgess and Blinkensop told them about the finding of Tony Bullingdon in full detail. But what about Waffles? asked Bill Wellingham. Tony would never have left her. Blinkensop shook his head. Not a sign or a clue of the remotest description. She has, as far as can be ascertained, vanished as completely as the balsamers. And for a few minutes we all smoked in silence without looking at each other. Soon after half-past two, Dr. Drake arrived, and a minute or two after three, Sir Humphrey's car drove up, and the doctors all went up together to see Lord Bullingdon. There was no variation in their report, which was satisfactory so far as it went, especially as regarding the tears on the shoulder, which were doing very well, and Blinkensop told Sir Humphrey about the professor's ointment, and he was obviously interested. But why was this not mentioned to Sir Brian and myself last night? He asked in his most professional manner, raising his eyebrows and turning to the other doctors. Because it was not then known to any of us, answered Burgess, intervening. That is the reason why. Dr. Wolfe did not mention the matter either to my sister or myself, and she did not notice him put on any ointment. It may have been done when she was taking off her petticoat. Well, anyhow, the wounds are making wonderfully satisfactory progress, admitted the big man from London, apparently disinclined to probe the matter more deeply under such satisfactory conditions, which could only react favorably upon himself and his colleagues. Colonel Gorleston has wired from Gorleston Castle that he will cross tonight, and I expect he will be down with you tomorrow night, but I will telephone you. I shall probably drive him down myself. As Lord Bullingdon was still unconscious, he allowed Wellingham and Verjoyce to peep into the room for a moment, and then left, offering Blinkensop a lift up to town in his car, which was gladly accepted. The two youngsters left a little later, giving me my first quiet time with Burgess and Anne. The next evening Sir Humphrey arrived, bringing down Colonel Gorleston, who stopped till the following afternoon, when, feeling that he could do no good by staying on, he left with Sir Humphrey. Meanwhile, Lord Bullingdon continued comatose, but otherwise there was no change. But towards Friday evening he began to grow feverish and restless, and the next morning he was delirious, a phase which lasted several days, causing the doctors and all of us the greatest anxiety. All the time it was touch and go, and several times it seemed as though the thin flame of life had burnt itself out. And his delirium was as strange as the rest of the strange case. He was continuously crying out, Waffles! Not in tones of love so much as those of horror, repeating over and over again the strange, disconnected words. Big dog jumped over moon, green eyes. Big dog jumped over moon, green eyes. It was his incessant cry, day and night, when not lying still in a stupor of exhaustion. The words were so ridiculous and bizarre in themselves, part and parcel of the bizarre character of the whole thing, that I must confess that in their very nonsense, reminiscent of the old nursery rhyme, they fascinated me and echoed through and through my head by the hour, to the exclusion of everything else as I sat and smoked and pondered, trying occasionally to read but without success. At times he babbled less boisterously of things having no possible connection with or bearing upon the case, and then with redoubled excitement and horror he would take up the old cry of, Waffles! followed by the same insistent words, Big dog jumped over moon, green eyes. 
it was a very absorbed and concentrated house within with the shadow of tragedy and death hanging over it doctors and relatives and police officials coming and going all the time and from outside neither blinkensop nor mutton had had any developments or hopeful clues to report they were frankly in despair and very down in the mouth and everything looked hopeless on monday afternoon when burgess and i returned from a walk taken in the interests of exercise rather than anything else we were surprised and i was delighted to hear that the professor and his daughter had called to inquire after the invalid and were at tea in the drawing-room with anne awaiting our return i had intended to make burgess take me down to call at the first opportunity but one thing and another had prevented me from urging the point the daughter dorothy a lovely girl as burgess has already described her in his document was dressed in white ermine with a cap of the same fur which set off her beauty remarkably well still in her winter things perhaps not unwisely as it had set in cold again on sunday with the treacherousness of spring in england she bowed rather shyly to me when introduced but the professor held out his hairy hand with his long pointed fingers and almond-shaped nails and as i took it a queer feeling of repulsion both psychological and physical came over me a strange unaccountable aversion to the touch him too burgess has described in detail with his strange slanting eyebrows that met over his nose and his piercing black eyes his low-set pointed ears and his full red-lipped mouth with its conspicuous white teeth and above all i noticed with a strange sensation his peculiar swinging gait as he crossed the room towards me he was apparently in his most affable and approachable mood and deprecated any assistance he had been able to give ah my magic ointment he said with a guttural laugh the medical profession would give their noses to learn the secret of my famous concoction of herbs but i will not divulge it though i am no patent medicine monger with a desire to make a large fortune by advertising it moreover the ingredients are rare and unobtainable in this highly civilized country and he licked his lips with his long facile red tongue in the way already described to me and i found that i could not take my eyes off the man he fascinated me and set all sorts of strange weird ideas coursing through my usually cool and well-controlled brain he made inquiries into bullingdon's condition and appeared only passingly interested in the strange cry of his delirium turning the subject with a shrug of his sloping shoulders i am not a psychoanalyst he said turning to me i am absorbed in entomology and botany and i am writing a great masterwork at present hence my presence in your quiet sussex away from the many calls and distractions which surround me in my beloved fatherland i must admit to being fascinated myself as an amateur with this new science of psychoanalysis i answered trying to size him up and draw him out but i think of all subjects botany is the one to which i have given the most consistent attention in my travels i have struck the right note and soon we were traversing europe together the black forest the austrian tyrol poland the balkans and the whole of the near east of which he showed an intimate first-hand knowledge all the time we talked i watched him with a curious fascination which grew upon me every moment and i was intensely disappointed when suddenly he rose quite abruptly to take his departure burgess accompanied miss wolf to the door and i following with her father could not help noticing his manner towards her something indefinable and perhaps more an instinct on my part than anything else but that too gave me much food for thought during the succeeding weeks had burgess hitherto apparently impervious succumbed at last 
I helped the professor into his gray fur coat, which I had already learnt was a characteristic of his appearance, and as he put on his Russian cap of the same fur, he looked a most unexpected and strange figure in the old-panelled Georgian hall. May I come down with Mr. Klimping one afternoon and see some of your specimens, Professor? I asked, boldly forcing the invitation which had not been offered. I do not, he began, and then he seemed to reconsider the question. Oh, by all means, if they will interest you, as I fancy they will. So few people know anything outside the commonplace in these matters, but you seem to do so. It is so rare to meet a widely traveled man in this self-satisfied island. And with these strange, uncouth words, not too graciously spoken with a strong guttural accent, he turned on his heel without even the formality of shaking hands, preceding his daughter. She turned and held out her hand, which I noticed was particularly small and dainty, quite unlike her father's except as to the pointing of the fingers. My father, like so many other geniuses, she said apologetically, is very absorbed and absent-minded. She spoke in a soft, well-modulated voice, free from accent, and for the first time I became fully aware of her charm. I had been so unpleasantly fascinated with the father that I had not had a moment up till then to pay attention to the daughter, and I felt a guilty twinge at my unintentional rudeness, but at the same time I registered a mental vow to follow up his ungracious consent to my visit. One thing and another had set up a wild train of thought in my head, and my brain was pounding hard like a big engine as I sat smoking in the old hall after Anne had gone to bed. And Burgess, with the affinity of old friendship, seemed to realize it as he settled himself down to read the evening papers without comment. At the end of half an hour, I got up and helped myself to a drink. I'm sorry, Burge, old man, I said, but I must run up to town tomorrow. Why, he asked, looking up with obvious disappointment in his voice. An idea has been working in my brain which I cannot discuss, I answered frankly. It contains the germ of a theory too bizarre to put into words, and please do not press me on the subject. I want to consult someone in town, I added, and Manders will do, if he be willing to take on the job I want. He is the very man to help, and I will approach him first, but not a word to Anne or Blinkensop or any living soul. I don't want to make an egregious ass of myself by flying too high or too wide of human probability. I must probe and, if possible, test my wild idea first. Why not me? asked Burgess, in a rather hurt tone. Because, my dear old chap, in the first place, you are absolutely essential in Sussex, and secondly, you might be out of your depth elsewhere. Burgess nodded his characteristic nod of understanding. Will you take the car? No, thanks. I'll go by train, as I shall probably have to stay at least one night, I replied. But you will return. Promise me. God knows I shall be lost without you at present. I grudge you even one night's absence. I will return, I answered, giving him my hand. Whatever happens, I promise you to see this matter through to the bitter end. And God knows when I spoke those words, by no means lightly, I never dreamt how bitter the end was destined to be. End of section 7